Are there nerds here tonight? Nerds! You are a part of the lucky 10,000 with your hosts, Evan. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. And Carissa. Not hot in spite of being a geek, but because of it. Being a nerd, it's not about what you love. It's about how you love it. Hey guys. Hey everybody. This is Evan. And I'm Carissa. And we're the Lucky 10,000, the podcast that gets you luckier than a podcast with a host who has something to talk about. What? <laughs> Aw. Brought to you through the courtesy of Stitcher and Podbean, also through the courtesy of the awesome networks that have added us to their list of shows, including Musings of a Geek and the Tangent Bound Network. Also, as always, through the Bearded Pods Network, beardedpodsnetwork.com, featuring not only us, but a majesty and genius that is Teddy and the Baseman and the Bearded Ones comedy podcast. And uh, the reason uh, we're starting this way today is because we're doing something very different for us for the new year. Yeah. Uh, we're not straying from our format totally, but today Today is just kind of kind of be a conversational, hey, what's up podcast. Yeah, I mean, mostly it's because we've been picking you know, the thing that we're going to talk about every week, and then we talk yeah. about that at great length. And yeah. we never really hit on the stuff that we like, that we really like, but just doesn't have all that much content to it. Yeah. So just things that are awesome, but it's just basically us saying, hey, this is awesome. Also, and just <laughs> completely being on Front Street, I don't have much to talk about this week because we didn't sit down and have that conversation for this one because we planned something very special but doesn't look like it can work out this week, probably next week. But we decided to do an episode anyway, and this is all for you guys. Yeah. So, um, but Carissa does want to start out with something a little bit formatted. Resolutions. Everybody has resolutions. Well, okay, a lot of people don't even give a shit about resolutions, but we have resolutions. Yeah, I generally actually don't do New Year's resolutions because... It's kind of cliche, and typically if you make a promise to yourself to do something for like a holiday reason, you're not going to stick to it. Oh, God, no. So I just generally don't do that, but this year I actually am because I got a present for Christmas that I'd been wanting. This was something I forgot to mention on my Best of 2015 stuff, was the Bob Ross Marathon that Twitch ran. Yes. Late last year, and they run every Monday. They run another season of Bob Ross's Joy of Painting show. And you can find that on twitch.tv slash Bob Ross. And the Bob Ross marathon was all 30 some odd seasons of his show just in a row, uninterrupted. And so that was like nine and a half days of Bob Ross's Joy of Painting. <laughs> and I watched much of it, most of it. In fact, for that nine days, that was what I watched. You really know how to paint the fuck out of a tree, don't you? Some happy little trees. Hell yes, I do. And it actually got me inspired. It was a lot of people started watching it kind of as a joke, but like 80,000 people or something ended up honestly. Yeah, I'll be honest. That's what I can't quite figure out about Bob Ross is how many people honestly do love the man and love watching him work and how many people are just like, oh, the irony of me pretending to like this guy. He's become like a hipster icon. Yeah, there was a lot of that when it started. Just, you know, people on Twitch. And if you're familiar with Twitch, you are also familiar with Twitch chat. If yeah. you're not familiar with Twitch, it's just basically everything is a meme. Everything. There's no any dialogue. There's no earnestness to it. It's relatively juvenile. Not necessarily in a bad way, but it is, it's very fast paced. And so there's not any real valuable content to be found in Twitch chat. Right. So Twitch chat, when it started, when the marathon started, was really very jokey and most of the people that were watching it were watching it as an ironic oh hey i'm watching bob ross on right. the internet which is there are two things that didn't really coexist 
So it started as an ironic kind of twist of thing to do, but there is something kind of magical about Bob Ross. And it stopped being a joke a couple days into it. And more and more people who had started watching to make fun of it or just to say they were watching it actually ended up really paying attention. And you were one of those people. Well, I started watching it because I loved Bob Ross as a kid and I thought it would be fun to see some of Bob Ross. Like, I just thought it would be fun. Not funny, just fun. Right. And he is just... He was a truly magical person. He's just a wizard. He was able to create beauty from nothing in 30 minutes every week. And his skill was, I'm not going to say unparalleled. He's not the best artist that ever lived, but certainly... He's not bad. I don't think anyone's making the jokes about Bob Ross because he's a terrible fan, especially no. in the amount of time he does it, especially from an instructional standpoint. Yeah, exactly. And not only was he able to just make beauty, just create it, just like spit it out onto a canvas and suddenly there's just beauty in the world. But his method, his style of teaching and of mm -hmm. producing that beauty made everyone, I think, feel very inclusive in that process. Not only that, but kept him from releasing his psychotic rage and killing folk. Stop. Wasn't he a Vietnam vet? He had been in the Air Force. Okay. I had always heard that he saw some shit. And that was his way of like, he probably started taking meditation and they're like, paint some trees. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, he spoke pretty, not like super openly, but pretty openly about the fact that being in the military wasn't really his style. <laughs> no. And that's pretty clear. But the way his instruction just made it feel like you could do this. The magical part of it is not just his own production, but the fact that at the end of every episode or at the end of, you know, the two hours that you've been watching him or however long it's been, nine days that you've been watching yeah. him, it's very motivating. It's like, yeah, I can't, I can do this. You're right, Bob Ross. Bob Ross believes in me. And that actually became kind of infectious for even yeah. the hard bitten internet Twitch chatters that were tearing up when the marathon ended, that started painting because of it, that have, you know, gone on to actually just in the past couple months, accomplish things that they had thought about doing and never got around to because they didn't think they could. That inspired them to do things, which is something that our current cynical age lacks. That's true. Is inspiration. We just, we can't do anything. Like we're all told we can be anything we want to be, but we're all also very cynical and never do anything because we know better. So for Christmas, I got a Bob Ross painting kit. I got the whole setup. Easel, awesome. paints, brushes, canvas, like all of it. And I started a couple weeks ago and my first painting turned out not too bad, actually. Well, you put it on your Google Plus account and yeah. I saw it and I got to admit it was really cool. It was really nice. I mean, for a first painting, especially, I'm oh, yeah. actually relatively proud of it. It's You not, should be proud of it. It's not Bob Ross, but hell, it's way better than I thought I could do. And I really liked doing it. So I'm going to keep doing it. My resolution, I told you all that to tell you this, my resolution is to make a painting at least once a week. Excellent. That's a great resolution and something that is practical, doable, and uh, we'll start the clock and see how long it lasts. But it's yeah. practical and doable. <laughs> so that is my, my goal is to make a painting at least once a week. I have started on a second one and already fucked it up. So I'm going to have to start it over again. But that's well, OK. Just happy little accidents. And get to get us back into our generation cynical mindset. As we were talking, I just decided to look up because you know, maybe the reason people don't make New Year's resolutions. We all know that a majority of them fail. I wanted to know how much of a majority. Uh, according to Forbes, eight 
percent of people achieve their New Year's resolutions. That that's about what I what I would have guessed. I probably that's actually a smaller 10. number than I thought. I did not actually do a formal resolution for myself, but since we started talking about it like an hour ago, I decided, you know, I do, I should at least set a goal for myself. And okay. as mentioned in the last podcast, I sort of drew myself out of the nine to five workaday world. And my main job, I call it, has been working from home doing audiobooks. And I, I've given myself a time frame of a few months before the, the money I've been using to live on runs out. <laughs> so I'm just going to push even harder towards that and see if I can make a feasible living out of it, plus extra things. I mean, there's still acting to be done, and I've been asked to teach a couple of classes. That doesn't pay a ton, but it, it pays, so I'm sure. going to say yes. And I actually enjoy doing that. So that's, I guess, if there's a resolution to be had, that's that. Uh, if we get into more frivolous things, I have a couple of goals this year of I have a very bad habit of starting things and not finishing them. Right. I kind of put a little bit of effort forth into try and finish some video games that I started like a year ago. Okay. I finally beat Arkham Asylum last week, which I'm very happy about. Congratulations. Thank you. I played Arkham City first, so I'm not going to say Arkham Asylum was a letdown because I knew to, to expect not as much as far as open world is concerned, but it's still just an awesome fucking game and very satisfying ending. And just last night, I finally beat Red Dead Redemption. Oh, it's awesome. It's very cool, but the, it is ex, it is an exhausting game. It really is. The every time I thought it was about to end, I was like, "Oh, it's still going." Oh, he's going back to you know, spoilers, by the way, for Red Dead Redemption. And it's so weird that we live in a world where you say that for video games, but <laughs> you need to know. Like, fast forward to like five minutes because uh, the basic point of that game is that, as in most games, you are a protagonist through most of the game, and the thing that a lot of these sandbox games that have popped up in the last few years is there's an emphasis on story above other things but also because you have the option to just sort of be and roam around and do things and meet people and do little missions for them you kind of get to know the characters on a totally different level it's not just i gotta go into the castle and kill the thing yeah and i mean there's voice acting and stuff and choices to make in dialogue so it becomes yeah. a lot more you in the character you yeah. can do good things you can do bad things and as much as i always kind of paint myself as a bit of a dark cynical person like i couldn't I couldn't do the bad things. Not many of them anyway. Yeah. I couldn't commit the crimes or shoot the people. Although it's funny in a game like that where you do things accidentally and all of a sudden are in trouble. Because I think it's fair to say that something like Red Dead Redemption is kind of like Grand Theft Auto in the West, just in structure. And there's a lot of uh, side missions you can do and things like that. But basic point is you're trying to get this guy to accomplish some things to get back to his family. Right. And I did that. And then rode from Mexico to, I don't know, Montana. I know it wasn't that far, but, you know, the like upper Nevada or whatever. regions of Texas or yeah. whatever. Yeah. To get back to the family and then had to kill one more guy. So I was like, OK, after I kill this guy, game's going to end. And I really got emotional. Like I, I did that, finished that thing. And so I'm literally riding my horse through the plains going back to my wife's house, whom at this point I haven't seen. But this guy has a wife and son right. that he's trying to get back to. And it really felt like this is where the credits should be rolling. Like the credits should be rolling. And then the last thing you see is him coming up to his house and his wife coming out the door and they embrace. And then that's it. That is not what happens at all. Not even a little bit. Nope. <laughs> he gets back to the house. And for one thing, 
his wife doesn't even seem that happy to see him, although she's she's a tough broad of the West, so yeah. she hides her more sensitive emotions. And uh, But you do get the feeling they're happy to see each other. And then the game just lets you be a rancher for a while. Yep. Like a pretty long while. And the problem with a lot of the sandbox open world games is like you're never quite sure if the game's over yet because it allows you to just kind of wander and do things. So like the whole time I'm thinking, am I done? Because every mission I try and find, I'm just rustling cows. Just and, ranching. And and shooting wolves that Giving are on my the property. my son sage advice. Ta- yeah, talking to my son about my dark past. Right. And then out of nowhere, we get attacked. Yep. And it's like, there's there's people everywhere. And the gameplay really isn't that challenging. Like, as long as you know how to train your gun on somebody, you got a pretty good job of doing really well in that game. Yeah. So we get done with that, and then this is big spoiler. Please fast forward like three minutes if you don't want to hear this, if you want to play this game and not have anything spoiled for you. The character who I've come to know and love through hours of gameplay gets gunned down hideously cruelly. I mean, just he's a bloody fucking mess. It doesn't even get to say the last thing or take out the bad guy. He's just like, I'm fucked up. My intestines are hanging out. He got filleted. And then all of a sudden, you're his son, like, 10 years later. Yep. And that's when you get the denouement. And even then, you're still just kind of wandering around for, for a little while. while. Yep. <laughs> Until you happen upon a guy who tells you where the guy who killed your father is. And then you go and kill him in a very sort of unceremonious, you know, little bit anticlimactic. But it's also like that whole like nail in the coffin. This is the this is the last tag. This is the button to the whole game. Kills the guy. Turns toward the camera. Boom. Red Dead Redemption, you get the credits. Yep. So I thought it was an awesome, awesome game. So well done in so many aspects. Mine was a little buggy here and there, but you know, you always get that fun stuff where in one mission I had to steal a, not steal a cart, but get some guy's cart back or something. And he had a bunch of corn bags in the back and give it back to him and he rides off with it. And then I turn around and there's like 15 corn bags just hanging in midair. <laughs> That I could actually go and shoot down from the air with my gun. You know, once or twice my hat disappeared for no reason. The one thing, not the one thing, I absolutely adore Red Dead Redemption. It is one of my favorite games to have ever played. Certainly one of my favorites on a console. And the thing that I always laugh about is when you would kill and skin a bear. Yes. There's always, it's like one bear and then you kill it and you look around because bears will fuck your shit up. And there's no bears. And then you start to skin the bear for fucking bears. Like every single time you skin you know, a bear. That never happened to me. Are you serious? Yeah. Dude, it was kill bear. Everything's fine. Approach bear. Everything's fine. Yeah. Start to skin bear for fucking bears. Every time. It was like it was an amazing summon bear spell. Yeah. And they would just try to wreck your shit. So at one point, I don't even remember which of us was playing. One of us was skinning a bear, four bears, killed those bears, all with a knife, by the way. Knife bear, knife bear, knife bear, knife bear. Okay, now I have five bears. Okay, start to skin one of the five bears, four more bears. I think we ended up killing like 38 bears. (laughs) And they were just surrounded by this pile of corpses. It was hilarious. Yeah, that's the cool thing about the game. Like, if you want a little bit of extra cash or you just want to do it for the fuck of it, there's tons of animals everywhere for you to kill. And then you can just shoot them randomly, get off your horse, skin them, and take their pelts and meat into towns and sell them. It's very RPG in that way. But bears didn't give me a problem. Fucking wolves, coyotes... Any sort of predatory dog gave me a problem. Well, the cougars will fuck your horse. 
My my horse got killed so many times by the wolves. Was it the wolves? It was always cougars for us. Yeah, and the thing is, like, they do a really good job. Because for uh, for me, it was because they're pack hunters. And I found a, a spot, because there's always these spots around the game, too, that if you want to save your game and you don't have to want to travel all the way across the fucking country to get to a place you can save your game, there's always little houses that you can either buy or just shacks that you can find and lay down in and sleep, quote-unquote, which is just a way of saving your game. Not that long ago, probably last week while I was playing it, I found this little shanty next to the lake and laid down to go to sleep. My horse is right beside me. Everything's fine. I wake up. There's like four coyotes. Jesus. Just attacking me out of nowhere. Kill my horse instantly, which is a funny construct of the game. I probably lost four or five horses through the course of playing this game. But there's always another one waiting. Yeah, like, if you don't mind retaming them. Well, for me, all I just had to do was whistle, and another saddled horse came to get me. I liked breaking the good horses. I would, I actually... That was fun, yeah. I actually found, like, the best horse, his stats, not that you can see his stats, but his stats were amazing, and he was beautiful, and so I was pretty religious about saving. Yeah. And if my horse ever died almost always to a fucking cougar, I would just reload. Yeah, that was the thing. I hated losing the horses. Although once they died, I would like just continue the game and skin them and sell their hides and pelts and meat and everything. (laughs) I just imagine like in the real world. Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) You were such a beautiful beast. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I talk about myself as a guy that waits for video games. And here's one of the reasons why. Because I don't play a ton of games on PC. And I want to buy them when they're affordable. And in order to do that, you got to wait. But one of the cool things they're doing now is for the more celebrated games anyway that actually had good downloadable content is they're including that downloadable content in Game of Year Editions where you get a second CD of whatever the downloadable content was. And for Red Dead Redemption, it was the same game basically except now with zombies. Oh, yes. And I started playing that last night because I'm, I don't know, I, I do things very linear. So I was like, I'm not going to play Red Dead Redemption with zombies until I fucking beat Red Dead Redemption without zombies. Yeah. So I beat it and it was like, oh, finally, I can play it with zombies now. It's so good. Yeah. Because <laughs> at first I was like, oh, yet another zombie game. Ugh. Because that's the thing. I love zombies. We've talked about that before. But we are inundated with them right now. Yes. I've even heard that George Romero might be making his own zombie TV show. And I'm like, I love George Romero. You know, he still made my favorite movie of all time, which was the original Dawn of the Dead. However, we got The Walking Dead. We got Fear the Walking Dead. We got Z Nation, which is not very good. (laughs) And now we're going to get a George Romero zombie tv show and i'm just like how many more times george can you say we're them and they're us oh i guess we'll find out yeah i'll watch it i'll give it a fair shot but anyway red dead redemption very good i gotta now get back into assassin's creed black flag because i just bought a discounted version of that and i want to pirate my own ship well have fun with the naval combat i got bastion as you recommended oh you got bastion so good it's very good it's very cool how far into it are you uh reasonably far it's not that hard of a game it's definitely one of those games that like it's it's an action rpg yep so it's not the turn-based combat or anything but it is definitely uh there are certain levels where they're throwing so many fucking enemies at you but usually you can defeat them pretty handily the challenge of the game isn't what is nice about it right the graphics the music the i love the voiceover because there's a there's a guy who's guiding you through everything and instead of just a, a sort of text message that you get in 
every other game when you've done something wrong or just not letting you know what the fuck you're doing wrong, which is the most frustrating thing in video games is when you're trying to do something the game doesn't want you to do and it doesn't tell you anything. It just lets you continue to try and fail. This game has a guy doing a voiceover who is slyly telling the gamer that he can't do that. Yeah, rucks. Yeah, so that's a lot of fun. I'm expecting to see a lot of cosplayers at the next Comic-Con. Well, not a lot, but a few, at least one or two cosplayers at the next Comic-Con I go to around here uh, dressed as that character. I don't know. The game's like three or four years old, so probably not. I didn't realize it was that old. Yeah, I mean, 2012, maybe 2013. Yeah, 2012 or 2013. Interesting. So good, though. Everybody should play Bastion. So those are the main things I'm doing right now with my free time, other than, you know, trying to be a dad and such. Probably going to see The Force Awakens again tonight with someone who hasn't seen it. And now let me ask you this on that subject. We talked about this a little bit on the Bearded Ones podcast, but I kind of expected, seeing how this movie came out to so many positive reviews, that there would be a pretty intense backlash. I think the backlash is getting a little unreasonable because there are people out there. I am avoiding comments about it for the most part because I don't really give a shit what other people think about it. I don't either, but sometimes an opinion of something is so unreasonable that you're kind of like, I don't understand how you can see something that way at all. Like the people who just decide I'm going to be contrary and say it sucked. That's what I think is happening a lot. But just like we were prequel apologists, I think some people are very good at trying to voice their opinion and sound reasonable even when it's not a reasonable opinion at all if you don't think it's the best movie ever made fine if you have criticisms with it fine if you can say you didn't like it fine if you can go out there and say without batting an eye that it's worse than the prequels i don't know what's wrong with you no and that's that's a ridiculous hyperbolic thing to say because it's it's flatly objectively provably undeniably untrue right it's simply not it's simply not worse than the prequels but i think this brings up a nice little conversation piece unless you have something else you want to bring up nah what is a movie or something you can even go into video games tv shows whatever that you loved and held so close to your heart and then a majority of people seem to greet it with such disdain that you're just like i don't even understand this world anymore a majority of people that's a really good question. I don't know that I've ever been hipstery enough to love something most people hated. Well, and I think hipsters are douches because they do that on purpose. But we've all had something. Like, I, I can remember just buying a bargain bin VHS of this Bruce Willis movie called Last Man Standing that I took home and watched. And I was like, wow, I got my money's worth. That was an awesome movie. And then saw just reviews come out and destroy it. It's like, I don't... I. I Maybe I'm just not right for this world. You know, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. I don't know. I, I'm i sure you're right that there's been, there has to have been something. I don't align with popular opinion so much that I never deviate from it. But right. I honestly can't remember. I mean, to be fair, I don't think Pokemon Snap is a... I think Pokemon Snap is fucking amazing. <laughs> and you can go to hell. You can go to hell and you die. <laughs> Because it's also maybe Pokemon Snap. Let's call it Pokemon Snap. I don't know. That may be all I can really come up with, though. I mean, as a fan of horror movies, a lot of people shit on a lot of horror movies. Usually fairly, because a lot of them are simple retreads and just trying to make a quick buck. But, you know, there are definite and like I, I love Bride of Chucky. I think I've talked about that before, so I'm not going to go into too much more detail about it. But that is definitely a movie I have shown people expecting them to love it just as much as I do. And at the end of it, I get a lot of blank stares. I th- mm-hmm. 
You've really got me thinking. What was that movie with Ewan McGregor and Ashley Judd? Eye of the Beholder. Oh, Eye of the Beholder. Oh, okay. Eye of the Beholder, maybe it. I don't remember how positively it was viewed by mainstream critics or the public. I haven't visited its Rotten Tomatoes page, but generally I know nobody that I know liked it but me, and I thought it right. was outstanding. That's one. Yeah. Um, another one I remember back on the Ewan McGregor train, A Life Less Ordinary, I remember being told it was really fun and watching it and enjoying it and then seeing reviews coming out that were just like, this is the biggest pile of shit I yeah, have ever seen. <laughs> I think you and I watched A Life Less Ordinary together. Maybe. I really liked that one as well. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't the best movie ever made, but it was a perfectly enjoyable film. Yeah. I know that there are things that most people do like that I absolutely despise. Oh, of course. I I mean, I only think about this one because we were just talking about two Ewan McGregor movies, so I'm going to bring up a third. I hated Moulin Rouge. Oh, see, I loved Moulin Rouge. And I've never talked to anybody else who didn't like who didn't at least like it. I hated every part of it. I hated it. I thought it was pretentious. I thought it was overblown. It was not even entertaining to me. It was terrible. But I'm the only one I know who just couldn't stand it. We both agree that Ewan McGregor is a talented actor. Mm -hmm. Doesn't save him from making the occasional shit film. Right. There's a movie that has come out. It's actually a few years old. Speaking of good actors and bad movies that I did not know about until like the past week. And I've heard it mentioned four or five times in that time since then. Okay. I would like to give you the synopsis of this movie. I don't think you've heard of it. Matthew Bright directs the romantic comedy Tiptoes. Have you heard of this movie? Tiptoes. I don't think so. Okay. Written by Bill Wiener. I'm not going to say anything because that would be immature and too easy. But it's a bad movie written by a guy whose last name is Wiener. Okay. Probably Wiener. I'm going to say Wiener. Rolf, played by Gary Oldman, is a dwarf. Wait, what? (laughs) Did you say played by Gary Oldman? Uh, Yes, I did. Okay, A, Gary Oldman has no face. He can play anybody he wants to, but is actually whatever the correct term for normal-sized human being. I think dwarf is accepted now. I think midget is the one that they hate. Right, but for someone who isn't uh, afflicted with dwarfism, they're normal-sized. Normal is probably Uh, able to... Offensive? Is that what we could call it? (laughs) Anyway, casting a not dwarf as a dwarf. Even if it is Gary Oldman who can play literally anything he wants, yes. is still eh. Okay. Well, you haven't heard the rest of the plot yet. You're right. Give it a chance, Carissa. Okay. Give it a chance. Rolf, Gary Oldman, is a dwarf, but his brother, Stephen, Matthew McConaughey, <laughs> okay, is not. Okay. <laughs> Which now I want to see the version of that movie where Matthew McConaughey is also a dwarf playing Gary Oldman's brother. All right, all right, man. <laughs> I'm sure, right? And they just keep getting taller. (laughs) They just keep getting taller. I stay the same height. When Stephen's wife, Carol, Kate Beckinsale, gets pregnant, she worries about the baby being born a dwarf. So the plot of this movie (gasps) is that for some reason, Matthew McConaughey has never allowed the woman that he's just impregnated to meet anyone in his family. Because apparently Matthew McConaughey is the only average height person. Which, okay, it is possible. (laughs) For dwarves, in fact, I think it's less possible for there to be an entire family of all dwarves yes. than it is for them to actually have a normal child. And I think that's the pro- of the many problems with this movie. One logical inconsistency is that he is the only, I think, normal height person in this family, and somehow his wife has never met anyone in his family. 
And then she gets pregnant and finds out that the rest of his family are dwarves. So what do you do when you're an, you, when you're an expectant mother who's very excited about having a child is you freak out because you don't want your child to be a dwarf. That is horrible. Yeah. She worries about the baby being born a dwarf. She also ends up falling for Rolf, much to her surprise. Wait, at... <laughs> but she's dating and or married to Matthew McConaughey? Uh, Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she is his wife, according to this synopsis. Okay. <laughs> this is the other thing. This movie was made in 2004, pre-Game of Thrones. So if you were to have a reason to do this, I guess you can justify it by saying that he wasn't a known actor at the time, even though it still shows Hollywood at its most offensive. Because you've already got Matthew. Who, wait, who, who wasn't a known actor? Uh, I'll tell you. I'm getting there. Because you've already got Matthew McConaughey. He's your cash grab leading man. Uh-huh. You've got Kate Beckinsale. He's your sex appeal for the guys. Okay. So then maybe you cast actual dwarf actors to play dwarves. I don't know. But when you have Peter Dinklage in your movie and you don't make him the lead dwarf, nothing against Gary Oldman's acting ability. Of course not. But he is not a dwarf. No. But Peter Dinklage is a small, eccentric role in the movie. uh, And Peter Dinklage is by no means the only dwarf actor worth a damn. Oh, God, no. That's not okay. See, this goes back to like the Kings of Egypt or gods of egypt or whatever the fuck that stupid ass racist yeah. movie is and they were making what was it they made snow white whatever the new snow white movie is with the twilight girl in it uh yeah snow white and the huntsman and all the dwarves were average sized people mm-hmm. like apparently not a single one of the dwarves were actually dwarves like that's kind of where you would cast dwarf if you're ever going to cast dwarves you're you should cast them as dwarves don't you think I would think I would, especially when you already have your leading man. I just don't I don't understand why. I mean, okay, if you're not making a shit movie like this piece of garbage that we were just talking about, but you need to have dwarves in it. Okay, maybe you put Gary Oldman as your head dwarf, I guess, because he's Gary Oldman. Seriously, he can play anything. That's fine. I get that. I get whatever, I suppose. But then everybody else who is playing a dwarf should probably be a dwarf. Uh, Well, there apparently were a bunch of other dwarves in the film. I saw a clip of it and there was, you know, the obligatory family reunion where they were all dwarves, which still doesn't really make any sense. Uh, You know. Uh, But the other part of it is that she's actually horrified. Like, she, our lead female, has to be brought around to the fact that having a dwarf kid's gonna be okay. Yeah, like, really, that's kind of, honestly, the part that gets me. Like, oh my god, my baby might be short. What? That's, like, your panic (laughs) that your baby will be short? Really? You're an asshole. You're an asshole, and you don't deserve to have a baby, no matter what size it is. And the fact that, I don't know how they explain the fact that she's married to this guy and didn't know. You know what I mean? That's yeah, the other thing too. I don't. That's I. That's ridiculous. That's horrible. <laughs> I don't get that at all. Do you, can you tell before your baby's born that they're gonna be a dwarf? Is dwarfism one of those things that you can? I fucking I don't know. I I've never had call to question the eugenics of baby making, so I'm not sure. I know they can test for a lot of stuff now. Well, this perfectly symbolizes what we were talking about. But there's also, like, as much as I do love Gary Oldman as an actor, and we all do, he's wonderful. You also have to think, 
How did he say yes to this? Money, money. You, I mean, you make money, whatever. How much money are you going to make off of tiptoes in the middle of this? That was 2004. He's never had a true lull in his career. He has yeah. to have projects flying at him from every direction. And he's going to sit down and go, hmm, can I do yet another interesting yet slightly over-the-top villain? Or, hmm, should I do this more quiet character piece? Ooh, tiptoes. What's this? Maybe, I don't know, maybe everybody in that movie owed somebody something. Well, that's pretty much the explanation we got for movie 43. Yeah. And I'm not even kidding. Yeah. I mean, lots of movies have been made for that reason. Oh, definitely. So maybe that's what it was. What I Here's kind of a thing I don't understand. Hollywood is supposed to be this really liberal pr- place, right? Yes. Full of super progressive, neoliberal, open-minded people Absolutely or whatever. It is. And it is like the most racist. <laughs> it is the most whatever-ist place in its production of any of anything. Seriously. You're not casting dwarves for the seven dwarves. Right. You're not casting uh black people or egyptians for the gods of fucking egypt movie i don't get how it can simultaneously be a place that is such a bastion of progressive ideals while at the same time being so very neoconservative about its portrayal of the world that we live in i don't get that at all that dichotomy baffles me it's the eternal conundrum of hollywood in general and maybe it's not so much the filmmakers themselves but the maybe acting community because we're both in the acting community it is majority liberal like there's just no two ways around it there are conservative like i'm in greenville south carolina and almost every actor i know and i know a decent amount of them right they're almost 80 percent of them are liberal there are a few staunchly conservative ones here sure but for the most part no no they are all pretty much liberal And that's the thing. Actors are great at complaining about that sort of thing, complaining about pay equality for women. And you see Jennifer Lawrence is finally like really making a stink about it to where hopefully something might change. But I wonder if it also boils down to if you're an actor, you are also a little bit narcissistic and a little bit self-obsessed. I am those things. I can admit it. I don't like it, but I can. And maybe instead of the fear of losing a role to someone who actually is better suited for that role overcomes your liberal ideals i don't know but you would think because i I, gary oldman seems like a pretty smart guy yeah totally pretty compassionate empathetic person you would have thought he would have been well you've already got mcconaughey there are plenty of good dwarf actors that could play this part but he didn't he said i'll do it i mean honestly just like that I kind of, yeah, I'm sure that he did. That sounds like Gary Oldman to me. Yeah, that's my Gary Oldman impression. You want to tiptoes? You can't see me visually, but I'm actually doing the big underhand elbow yeah. thing with yep. the fist up. I totally, I'll do it. Yep, I saw that. Okay. Gee, Mr. Mahoney, you want me to play a dwarf? That'd be, that'd be gee willikers wizzy great. Yeah, that's a spot on, Gary Oldman, dude. Thank you. I don't fault actors for taking a part. Like, if you're called and you're like, hey, Gary Oldman, you're a normal-sized dude or average-sized dude, but you're going to play a dwarf. I'm okay whatever i'm an actor i don't make these decisions i just act fine i get that are you gonna pay me sure what i don't get are the people making those decisions before that call is made yeah hey we've got this part for for a dwarf who are we gonna get to play this dwarf uh well we got peter dinklage we got fuck what's his name who played wicket Warwick Davis. Warwick Davis, and I'm probably 4,000 other perfectly acceptable dwarf actors that I'm just not remembering right now. Uh, Gary Oldman. Let's go Gary Oldman on this one. What? Like, where does that even come from? 
I think it comes from just an extremely narrow-minded view of the world and obviously what will make money. The problem that you run into a lot is studio heads have no creativity. They know how to run a business. And obviously what they're concerned about more than anything is simply making money. There's a great Showtime movie I saw. I think it was made specifically for Showtime called The TV Set. And it starred David Duchovny as a writer who had this beautiful idea for a very real-life sitcom but only only in in name only sitcom okay it would it would have been you know the three or four camera production you know filming outside no laugh tracks about a guy who loses his dad and he's a young guy and sort of his struggles in life and the darkly funny aspects of that okay and the studio accepted his script and then sigourney weaver played the head of the studio and you know when actors do get to do movies and tv shows like this that's when you really see them like just light up because you know they have encountered problems like this where right he had this one guy that he thought was perfect for the role but obviously since he's the writer he doesn't get to make final decisions as far as casting is concerned right so this guy comes in and just knocks the part out of the park but he's real he's playing it real and then this other guy comes in he's like well hey <laughs> and the studio loves him naturally because he takes everything to the sitcom level and they would come to me the whole time I was like yeah but this guy you know he really has the heart of the part and they're like no 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 the other guy's hilarious we'll use him and then immediately come the script changes yep. maybe his father shouldn't die and he's like, but that's the whole point of the show. Yeah, but we tested that. And, you know, audiences really don't like their TV shows to be that dark. And Sigourney, the best thing about Sigourney Weaver's character is every time he would come up to her with a problem about what her studio wanted to change, she would say, well, my 17-year-old daughter thinks blah, blah, yes, blah. Yeah. And she's really good with this stuff. And she, like, basing all her student. And, you know, the sad thing is she was right as far as what audiences wanted to see. The 17-year-old girl was right on target with it. But none of that actually happened to be good. Right. And that's how we get the Big Bang Theory. Right. And that's how we get a lot of TV shows and also a lot of bastardized TV shows. You, you always look at where does a bad TV show or a bad movie come from. And, of course, there are examples of artists having complete free reign and control over what they do. And it turns out just dreadfully awful. But most of the time... You know, there's another great movie that I would recommend to anyone out there called What Just Happened, and it stars Robert De Niro. It was one of his lesser-known films a few years ago, and it's the same concept. They actually took the idea from the movie from a book a guy assembled of stories, true stories, from actors, directors, producers that he knew about, A, how Hollywood works, and B, what happened to their projects okay. because of studio interference. And he strung together this one story of this one guy who's a producer just trying to stay relevant and juggling two or three different projects at the same time. One of the subplots is Bruce Willis is the lead actor of an action movie, but he's just got done doing his indie movie where he really got to be an actor. And Bruce Willis, as much as people say he's an asshole, is great in the movie and plays himself, who has this massive beard now because... That's what he thinks the character needs. And they're all like, well, you're Bruce Willis in an action movie. We don't want you to have the beard. And if you keep the beard, we can't make the movie because the studio won't give us the backing for it. And Bruce Willis is going to keep the beard. And it becomes like this whole big argument about shave or not shave. Millions of dollars on the line. Hundreds of people's jobs on the line, all because Bruce Willis won't shave his beard. Okay. But then you go the opposite end of that spectrum with an independent movie with some artistic merit that the studio is saying, oh, it's too dark. Oh, test audiences, which I think is the, oh, the poison started. of the movie industry yeah. where you get, you know, a group of 100 people to determine 
what your finished product movie should be for an entire country. And, you know, the movie may not end up being a huge financial blockbuster, but they get artistically raped all the time. And I think that happens more often than not. I think maybe these people thought a dwarf movie wouldn't sell. So like, well, we got McConaughey, we got Beckinsale, but we need one other name to sell the film. And I have seen scenes from this movie. I have seen articles about this movie because I became fascinated with it. Okay. They accomplished the dwarf effect by having Gary Oldman walk on his knees. Oh my God. That is ridiculous. Like, and nothing else was really changed about him. Because that's the other thing. If you have dwarfism, it affects pretty much everything. Yeah. It, it changes the ratio of your body parts to one another. Yeah. So you accomplish that by just putting him on his knees and not really changing anything else. Oh, my God. Okay. Not okay, but all right. That happened. Yeah. Can we move on to something funny? Because that's yeah, just horrible. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. It's fu- it's very darkly funny, but it is horrible. That that shit still goes on. Oh, it goes on all the time. It goes on all the time. And, you know, like you say, with, with like, say, race politics and things like that. I think I heard Chris Rock or somebody talking about one of their movies. And, you know, they... They don't tend to cast. It's getting better. And I think, you know, in the next 20, 30 years, the movie industry may be completely different than it is now because it's completely different now than it used to be. True. But they were talking about how black studio, not black studios, but studios avoid primarily black cast movies, even though as bad as most of Tyler Perry's movies are, they make a fucking killing at the box office. Sure. A lot of the primarily black cast movies make a decent amount of their money back because they're appealing to an underserved audience yeah but the studios always go yeah but they don't do well internationally you know they don't make 200 million dollars yes i'm sure tiptoes made 200 million dollars so let's you know make sure we go by that number or anything even like unto that number I mean, it so made 200, 200 million tiny dollars. Which <laughs> yeah. When you when you do the currency exchange, it's not nearly as much when you get the regular sized ones. Yeah. Fucking idiots. Anyway, funny stuff. Yeah. So, I just a long string of wiki walking led me to limericks. Hooray. You know, there once was a man from Nantucket. Sort of. Oh, oh I know. <laughs> limericks. I'm sure that you do. I learned that some of the very first limericks were done by Edward Lear. Okay. Who was a writer in the mid to late 1800s. And we're familiar with dirty limericks. Like, limericks to us are basically meant to be dirty. Of course. If they're not, they're not really limericks. But it's really much like a sonnet. It's just the meter. That's all it has to be to be a limerick is have the, the rhyme scheme and the meter. So the first limericks by Edward Lear were terrible. <laughs> they were awful, not funny, not creative. Probably his best one is the one they actually have on the wiki article. And I've read a ton of the ones that he wrote. So this guy created the limerick and it only took off because people started making them dirty. Is that what you're saying? It at least He at least popularized them in a book that he produced called A Book of Nonsense. Okay. Which had a bunch of them. It had been around for a little while. The the style had been around for a little while, but he was the first one to publish anything with limericks as a main focus. Okay. And they were so bad. So here's the one that they use as the example, and it may be one of his better ones. Ready? Uh, go for it. I can't wait. There was a young person of Smyrna whose grandmother threatened to burn her, but she seized on the cat, said, Granny, burn that, you incongruous old woman of Smyrna. <laughs> 
Wait, he started rhyming with Smyrna and managed to get all the way back around to virtually Smyrna? Not virtually. I I have not yet come across one that he wrote that did not end with just a slight rewording of the first line for the last line. Well, maybe that's the point we're all missing, Carissa. Maybe we've been getting them wrong for hundreds of years. No. So in reading about limericks, there are anti-limericks which are really good for our sort of generation, our postmodern cynical society. Sure. And uh, one of them is, there was a young man of Japan whose limericks never would scan. When asked why this was, he replied, it's because I always try to fit as many syllables into the last line as ever I possibly can. <laughs> which is adorable. And it's very cute. I really like that uh, subversion of the rhyme scheme. It's good. But I actually, I read this one by John Clark, who's a comedian, who's a satirist. And I laughed for probably 20 minutes. Awesome. I'm going to try to get through it with a straight face. Okay. He's lampooning Edward Lear. Okay. There was an old man with a beard. A funny old man with a beard. He had a big beard. A great big old beard. That amusing old man with a beard. (laughs) Have you ever tried to write your own lyric? Limerick, I mean. Yeah, I have. We had to do it in both drama and English. It's not easy, but it's certainly like even my shittiest ones at age 14 were better than fucking Edward Lear's. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. was a man who had problem with rhyme. He spoke many, many things. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> like, not only is that doesn't rhyme, it doesn't have enough lines, it doesn't have any meter. Actually, that was a worse limerick than he could have come up with. It's probably, it wasn't even a limerick, actually, so, you know. No, it was just two statements, yeah, side by side. Two sentences, it's fine. Of course, when I think, when I try to think of limericks, and I've heard many, I've written some, I the ones that always come up are the Nantucket ones, even though oh, yeah. those aren't the best or the funniest, but they're always the only ones I can think of until I start reading them again. So there was no man from Nantucket whose dick was so long he could suck it. He said with a grin, wiping cum off his chin, if my ear was a pussy, I'd fuck it. Yeah, I actually just did a show where at a reasonably family-friendly theater, or one of the lines was one of my characters had to start a limerick and then get interrupted. And everybody knows that limerick. So as soon as you get to, there was a young lady from Nantucket. Everyone knows what's supposed to rhyme with Nantucket. Yep. So just stopping someone there, you're always like, oh, that's funny. I actually had an occurrence, and you, I think you may remember this. You may have seen it. I don't know. I had some friends that needed to make a video, a, a film as it were. And the film was just sort of a very sentimental, very straightforward, traditional story told through music. It was like a music video. Uh, no spoken word, so we didn't have to be mic'd, thank God, because we were outside most of the time. And uh, it was about a guy who is just sort of walking along uh, on a bridge with his wife and he starts reminiscing and it shows them getting married and meeting and running through a field. And then the last scene of it shows her sort of disappearing from his side and he looks around and you realize he was alone the whole time because she died years ago. Aw. And there was a scene when they were getting married. I was called in to be the preacher. Okay. We didn't have a Bible. We had a dirty limerick book. Okay. Because from a distance, it looked exactly the same. Uh, but I had to, my mouth had to move. So yep. you, so you would imagine that I was giving them the normal funeral rites or whatever you're supposed to do at a, at a wedding. And uh, 
Yes, the funeral rites. Yeah. The wedding. Yeah. So I just started reading from the book. It was a lot of fun because I don't recommend any actor on any set, especially a film set, because, you know, time is, is money. But this one was, you know, it wasn't like a production. It wasn't a studio back thing. It was literally like three or four of us, one guy with a camera and then the three of us in the scene. So I'm not saying that I advertise trying to screw with the other actors on set, but watching them try and look at each other lovingly. As I'm just reading filthy limericks. Like, dearly beloved, a policeman from Nottingham Junction, whose organs have <laughs> right. ceased to function, deceived his good wife for the rest of his life with the use of his constable's truncheon. Yes, but more filthy than that. Like, I'm more sure. like the, the traditional Nantucket one where there's no tease or entendre at all. It's literally just cuss, 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 dirty word, dirty word, dirty word. It was one of my finer moments, I think. And going back and watching it, and at one point he had to get a close-up of my mouth, I guess, as I was talking to enter into the cuts of, you know, wide shot of the three of us and then close up of my mouth and then close up of their faces okay. lovingly looking at each other. And if you can read lips, <laughs> you should find this video. I don't know where it is now. I'm still friends with the guy that made it, so I need to contact him maybe and we'll put it up someday. But yeah, it's pretty hilarious. Oh, the behind the scenes life of an actor. Yeah. So I just liked the uh, that beard one just fucking killed me for 20 minutes oh it's hysterical it's it's really really funny and i love stuff like that and you know life would be a little bit sadder if we didn't have limericks but they're also you know i could pretty much give or take them for the most part me too like i generally don't think about them and again just wiki walking i happened to stumble upon some stuff that had me reading all about them but they are such a classic comedic go-to yeah Oh, yeah. I've, I've seen it a hundred times. That gag that I was talking about in the play I just did is an old gag. I'm pretty sure it happened yeah. in Star Trek Next Generation at one point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, where Data started telling a limerick and they were like, stop it! You know, because they knew what was going to happen. And it's just cute and it's just funny. And that one has gotten more traction than anything, the Nantucket one. That's the one you always think of. Yeah, it really is. And it's not by far the best, even the several derivations of it. But it is just, I think it's because the word Nantucket is not only rhymable, but funny all by itself. Well, we have a mission for the listeners out there because there's another city name that I think has kind of fallen out of favor over the last few years that I would really love to see come back into vogue as far as a funny word right send us a lyric using the word hoboken oh yeah but try and make it as filthy as humanly possible or maybe it's a project for the next episode perhaps come up with some lyrics limericks i mean but anyway well i thought this was a lot of fun just kind of going off script just kind of talking about whatever we wanted to talk about yeah absolutely oh i did want to make a quick note yes to the dudes at wiki shuffle like we just seem to keep doing this every week so yes Texas has a reputation for being kind of shitty and racist, and it's kind of shitty and racist, but metropolitan Texas isn't really that bad most of the time. Like, if you live in any city, Austin is the weird one, but basically most of the cities where there are cities yeah. and people and, like, books and learning, <laughs> learning, it's not really that bad. Oh, did they make a Texas comment on a recent episode? Well, yeah, because they got my postcard from Dallas. Aww. And they commented that it, they didn't see any they didn't see any racists in the picture. <laughs> that's funny. And that's, you know, Dallas isn't isn't as bad as they seem to think it might be. No. I mean, it still has Jerry Jones, but other than that, we'll give it a pass. Yeah. But anyway, Carissa, if someone would like to talk to us about limericks, Jerry Jones, or anything, what can they do? They can email us at lucky10,000, all spelled out, lucky10,000 at gmail.com, or catch us on Twitter at lucky underscore 10K. 
excellent. And as we always ask, if you wouldn't mind, if you would like to, well, A, share us with your friends because that's always doing us a favor. But B, give us a five-star review on iTunes or Stitcher and we will read it on the air regardless of what you say, even if you're a racist Texan. That's that's true. We'll just have to preface it by saying we're pretty sure this is from a racist Texan. Oh, and big shout out to EMA Hip Hop Podcast. They did us a, did us a solid and gave us some listens this week and oh boy. reviews and stuff. Shouted us out on Twitter. So nice. they're actually pretty badass. I started following them after our Nerdcore episode. Nice. They're pretty I guess sweet. I'll have to start listening to them, too. <laughs> the docket grows longer. Oh, my Lord. I just don't have the time. Anyway, well, we thank you guys for listening. Next week, we will be back to the uh, sort of one subject per episode, pardoning the ramblings that we always have. Right. And the rants. Hopefully, next week will be a really big deal, but we're going to put a pin in that because it hasn't happened yet. But we're yeah, working on something. Don't oversell that. Don't oversell no. that. It'll be the best thing ever. <laughs> But not really. But yeah, we're working on something that we think is going to be a first for us and a lot of fun. So please keep listening. Tune in for that. And until next week, I hope you got lucky tonight. Good night, nerds. Thank you for being a part of the Lucky 10,000 with your hosts, Evan and Carissa. Email us at lucky10,000 at gmail.com. Find Lucky 10,000 on Twitter at lucky underscore 10k. And, visit our podcast network site, at beardedpodsnetwork.com.